you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Buckets brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. I got a pretty good gobble gobble. Welcome to Action Network's NBA betting podcast. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Hope you guys are enjoying the holiday season as we do the weekend recap here on Sunday night for Monday. Today we'll do best bets and we'll get into a little bit of futures talk. We got two futures that we're going to get into. Uh, programming note we are doing buckets on Monday and Tuesday only. So no shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for the holiday season. I know, I know. What are you supposed to do? Talk to your family. But don't worry. You can find more stuff to bet on and content to consume on the award-winning Action Network app. It's the best way for you to track your picks. You get up to the second information where the bets and money are coming in. You can also check out all sorts of great content on our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash the Action Network. We'll get you set for all of the NFL games on Thanksgiving. We'll get you set for everything that you need to know throughout the week. Just go to youtube.com slash the action network. All right. We're going to do best bets and we're going to talk a little bit of futures and we're going to do that with the Jays, the future, future Jays. That's it. That's the nickname, the future Jays. <laughs> uh, we got Jim Turvey at Turvey bets on Twitter and in the action network app and Joe Delara at Joe Delara in the action network app and on Twitter. Fellas, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I never chit chat, so I don't really care. Uh, let's get started here, Joe. I need your best bet for the Monday slate. This is a heads up. This slate sucks. Everyone's on a back to back or a third and four. It is gross. Good games, but it is gross. So I applaud you guys for finding bets, Joe. What's yours for Monday? Uh, I like the Milwaukee Bucks minus eight and a half, and then I'm also going to be on Zubac over nine and a half points and whatever DeMontis Sabonis' rebounds plus assist line is. Maybe we'll sprinkle that triple-double, too. Uh, I love it. We record these on Sunday night. Of course, the, most of the props haven't posted yet, and so uh, I always love it when Joe's like, whatever it is. like just It's like a blind bet in poker. <laughs> just throwing it out there blind. I'm going ahead and going in without looking at my cards. Uh, Jim Turvey, what's your best bet for Monday? Yeah, I got uh, a little bit of a, a weird one here, but a fun one, I think. Bucks first half team total over 64 and a half. And then uh, a little more straightforward, Keldon Johnson over 17 and a half points. 
Okay. All right. So Bucks heavy. I'm not going to uh, jinx us with going triple on this. Uh, I'm going to go with Rockets plus nine versus the Golden State Warriors. I will have a lot of caveats on that game when I get to it. Uh, I will also take the Minnesota Timberwolves minus three versus the Knicks into the breach once more, my friends, against the New York Knicks. Uh, let's start with Jim. Okay. Because we're going to talk about Bucks so much. And so I want to get Jim's first half cap and then we'll do full game. Um, let's start with, it's an offense only play 64 and a half first half versus the Washington wizards. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Washington wizards are not good. Uh, they are not good and everyone's <laughs> going to get, uh, fired or let go or traded. Jordan pool is the single worst acquisition of the off season. Absolutely disastrous. Um, the wizards are 24th in defense per dunks and with a pretty tough defensive stra- schedule. They've actually had the second toughest. Um, somehow they're worse on offense. They are 27th on offense right now, which means a lot of run out opportunities for the bucks. But Jim, why do you like the over first half 64 and a half? Yeah. So I was eyeing this game along with Joe. Um, I think the bucks are kind of starting to come together. We're, we're seeing it kind of happen right before our eyes. You know, the, the, with these teams, it always takes a little bit of time with the, the, the the transition from Drew Holiday to Damian Lillard it it and and new coaching as well these these things take time um and they're really starting to look a lot stronger but i do worry what is really truly terrible about this wizards team is their starters their bench units actually kind of like fun and spunky and and can do some stuff so i want to avoid from for me personally i'm going to avoid the spread a little bit out of fear of that late game you know in that in that zone where you know a couple weird things happen suddenly it's you know they they lose by eight when it wasn't even a close game but that they somehow backdoor cover so i'm targeting the bucks offense in particular last three games they scored 128 points 130 points 132 points they draw wizards team that you talked about um one of the worst defenses in the league they're also one of the fastest um pace teams in the league so even you know if if they're not playing a little bit better defense, there's going to be possessions of plenty um, for the Bucks to get over this. Um, and I, I just think that you know that who, if we think about who is going to be guarding who on this team, um, it's really not going to end well, especially with the starting unit um, out there for the Bucks. Um, and try and target as much of that in the first half as possible. Damon Giannis, that's going to be guarded by you know Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma. I, I don't, I really don't know what we're going to be throwing up against them. Um, and with the the Bucks offense starting to look like how we pictured it at the beginning of the season, um, I really like this play. I have lots of th- thoughts on the Bucks. We'll get to those in a second. Joe Delera, uh, you're laying the wood with a nine. I want you to give the cap. I also am going to uh, uh, demand that you provide a stopping point because we're already seeing sharp money in the action network app coming in on Bucks minus nine. I'm going to imagine by the time that folks hear this on Monday morning, we're looking probably at double digits. So I'm going to need a buy point yeah. uh, and a stop point for you as well but what's your cap on the bucks in this game yeah i mean i like it at the minus eight and a half minus nine um i think you could take it to like minus 10 and a half minus 11 to be honest um i probably would reduce your risk obviously like if you get it there um or maybe like start splitting it between like what i'm looking at and what jim's looking at because i think the angles kind of are pretty like similar and there there's a pretty good interplay between the two of them so try to see which one maybe moved a little bit less um Part of why I like this is over the last two weeks, like Jim said, Milwaukee is six and two, and they're plus six point one in terms of their point differential in the non-garbage time minutes, which is significantly better than their full season numbers. And when we look at Washington, they just can't stop anybody at all. And I know that you know Milwaukee's generally been 
able to be scored upon by opposing guards. But Jordan Poole has looked so, so bad. Like, I don't even think that he can score against them um, at this point. And that's, that's kind of the way that I'm looking at this game. Plus, I think that because of Milwaukee's early season struggles, people have kind of forgotten just how dominant this team really is. And I mean, like, they just played the Mavericks, who have been one of the best teams over the course of the entire season, and put up a 43 spot on them in the fourth quarter. And that's something that I think they can do like at any point in time, at any point in the game, especially against a Washington Wizards team, like it just wouldn't surprise me to see Milwaukee hang an insane number on Washington, just the way that they can run up and down the floor and just what you can see Dame and Giannis doing. I think this is going to be a great opportunity for them to really kind of boost their stats and uh, just have a great game. So I think that the number is just still short. And I feel like in a couple months, you might see this game like open at like a minus 14 or something like that. Just something insane. Uh, but it's still just early enough in the season that the numbers are a little sticky. Yeah, that tracks. Um, it's hard to make an argument for the Washington Wizards here. Um, Bucks injury report, by the way, as filed on Sunday night is clean. So we're not going to have to worry about the only one of the superstars playing now. It's always kind of a concern because they've been popping like, oh, by the way, Dame's out. Oh, by the way, Giannis is out. Um, so always... Yeah. Be like, I think the the best thing to kind of do when you're listening to our best bets here is, you know, if you like them enough and you think they're CLV, then you can play it. But we have to tell you, like, you should always have notifications turned on the Action Network app in case this line moves, and you can either go back again if it moves in your favor, it moves against you if you trust it enough, or you can buy out of the position if you think that that uh, the circumstances have changed. Just, that's kind of the nature of the NBA, and you can set line alerts uh, also in the Action Network app if you want to kind of track those things as well. Uh, so. The Bucks. First off, I, there's no there is no scenario here where I can make a you should bet the Wizards like that is not a thing. Um, they are minus two point nine in the last two weeks in spread differential per clean the glass. They are one in six with a minus two point nine spread differential. And Joe is right that there's a stickiness to the preseason expectations where it's like coming in the sports books kind of projection on this team was they're garbage, they're not good at all. And now it's like they're worse than that. They're a hazmat zone. They are radioactive. But the books can't overcorrect for that yet. Um, I will say, like, I, do, I haven't seen the Bucks, on the other hand, get dinged probably as much as they need to for how they performed early. They've had a couple of, like, really feel-good wins, which I think has kind of, like, changed the narrative on them. And I watched uh, parts of the Mavericks game, and that was really good. I'm doing a deep dive on it now. And... Um, I've seen some other spots for them where it's like you can see what they're going to do. The defense is still not great. Like there's still a real problem defensively. But to Joe's point, it's Jordan fucking Poole. And that's like the question here is like it's the not extremely movable, just like the pretty not terribly unmovable object versus the entirely resistible force of the of the Wizards offense. Um, so I do think there's probably value on this. I will say that. Uh, I'm not going to play it again to not doom us, but I do have this projected at 10.3. So my stopping point would probably be 10. Like once it hits double digits, I no longer would want any part of it. Um, And I will not play it as uh, out of respect for the goodness of the podcast to not get this all in. But um, I will say, Joe, there, there's a lot of like, Adrian Griffin's like really flexible and like, listen to all this stuff that they told him that they wanted to do. That's a warning sign, guys. Because if that means that the yeah. coach doesn't inherently understand what needed to happen in the first place and the lines of communication weren't open enough to solve it in the beginning. And, like, that's concerning. So um, I get it, Joe, but does I guess here's the, the, the question is, like, 
this really is a are the Bucks that much worse than their projection versus the Wizards being that much worse than their projection? It's bad versus bad versus preseason, wouldn't you say, on power rating? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I, I think that part of what it is is that when you have like two players, kind of like two superstar players in Dame and Giannis kind of build that rapport, I think it does make a big difference. Because like when you watch them, like when I was watching the Mavs game, in particular, um, it was obviously the most recent game. But like when you're watching them down the stretch, you can see them start to like lean on each other and like understand like what the other one needs and what the other one wants. And I think that that makes a huge difference because there's just that on court chemistry that's kind of lasting for the whole game. And it's not just like here you have the you have your turn. Like all right, you have your turn. It was a little bit more like all right, like this is what we need right now. And I think that having that is kind of what's helping this Milwaukee team really improve. And like kind of all having all the other pieces kind of fit around them. All right, give me the uh, Ivica Zubac props. You like the over nine and a half points facing the San Antonio Spurs uh, and one Victor <laughs> Wembenyama. The uh, Spurs this season are. I'm looking. Oh boy, um, they are twentieth, ranked twentieth in opponent points in the paint per game. Give me the cap on Zoo. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of this is the fact that he kind of is going to be matching up, I think, a lot more with Zach Collins, right? And Collins, you know, has his limitations, I think, as a player. He scored 16 points against uh, the Spurs back in on October 29th, and he's gone over this line in four of his last five games against the Spurs as well. So San Antonio just has been relatively weak on the interior over the past two seasons. And even though Wemby has been like very good, uh, you know, as, as like in terms of getting blocks, uh, getting some steals just because of his length. Um, I think that what the Clippers are going to be able to do in terms of their spacing might space him out a little bit even more. And we could see a little bit more opportunities for Zoo on the interior, just with if they're playing like four out, basically, especially with Harden now, who kind of likes to have that guy like in the paint that he can dish to pretty easily i think this is a good opportunity for him to just keep up the volume uh and keep scoring uh essentially just in the spot so i know he just scored 12 games against houston in his last uh, 12 points in his last game against houston and he's kind of been around this number for most of the season but at nine and a half against the spurs who i know he just scored 12 points against the other night uh, i like him to go over the nine and a half and get double digits Joe's pretty pretty locked down on props, so these are always pretty good plays in general. The other thing I would say is Russell Westbrook actually has pretty good chemistry with Zoo and Harden in particular. Like it's annoying to me because I'm like, you have all these weapons and like this is what you're reduced to. You're just running yeah. Capella, like you're just running Harden Capella with Kawhi yeah. Leonard and Paul George being PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza. Like that's yes. what you've turned this team into. But it works. <laughs> Because Harden's really <laughs> fucking good at running. He's really good at running pick and roll. And yeah. Zoo, like, you started to see it, I think. I, I first saw the Nuggets game. That's one of the reasons I was on uh, the Clippers on um, the money line versus the Rockets in that game was, like, I, I knew it was a good spot for the Clippers um, for a number of reasons, including, like, Zoo started to figure out, like, oh, if I just roll hard to the rim, they have to put two on him. And I'm going to have a lob like every single time. Click Bella had the same thing. We got to Houston and it was like, oh, so I just like set a screen, run four steps and jump. And I have, I get a bucket like every time. And every so time. um, I also love this because 
Wembenyama has really good instincts in terms of one-on-one play, and he's got really good instincts in terms of weak side rotation stuff, but there's only so much that he can do. Now the question is just going to be like, can they get the lob up over him? Like that's going to be a real question in this game is like, can they get the lob up over Victor if Victor's guarding Zoo? Like that, that, but even then, sometimes Victor doesn't guard Zoo. It's Colin. So you're in a much better spot to be able to get, get that lob up. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of one of those, like, comedy of errors type of things. Like, when you look at this Clippers team, it's like, who are you going to cover? And then nobody moves. Literally just nobody on the team moves. So, like, Zoo is about, like, the only player on the team that's like, oh, like, if I move, like, I can get a bucket. And, like, because everybody else just wants to play ISO. There's not, like, a ton of ball movement. um, Or, like, there is ball movement, but there's not a lot of personnel movement. Um, So that's, that's part of why I like it as well. Give me the uh, rundown real quickly. You like blind Sabonis rebounds and assists over tomorrow versus the Pelicans. What's the cap? Yeah. So like in my Pokemon nerd thing, like I always think about <laughs> Sangoon, Sabonis and Jokic as like Charmander, Charmeleon and Charizard, right? And uh, Jokic just crushes Valanciunas. Um, like I said, he had, when I gave out the triple-double the other day, he had six, that's a sixth triple-double in his last eight games. Sabonis, so uh, in his last two games against Valanciunas, also has back-to-back triple-doubles. So he's had, uh, and then even besides that in the prior games, he's assisted the ball pretty well, uh, but he's also recorded a decent amount of rebounds. So he's averaging, uh, you know, kind of in that time frame, double-digit boards, and he's closing in on like about nine assists per game, eight and a half, nine assists per game. So I like the RA. I think that we'll probably get it at a good number, probably like 17 and a half maybe. And then uh, as for the triple-double, I think that the odds are just going to be there. I'm not sure where exactly we're going to be looking at, maybe like a plus 500 or so. And I think that it's a good spot considering Val kind of struggles in these matchups against got against these centers that can not only rebound the basketball, but facilitate out of the post. And that's part of why I like this cap here. And I think that the number is just a little bit too long, or it's going to be a little bit too long for a guy who has back-to-back triple doubles in this matchup. Hmm. I kind of go, like, I I, I don't like this one. I'll say this. I don't like this one. I think, uh, in part, the reason I don't like it is I I consider Jonas Valanciunas to be Blastoise. And so he's got a hardy shell (laughs) and is able to hit cannons. I think this is actually, <laughs> I, I just think Joker, I, I think you're not wrong in that like Shangun, Sabonis, Jokic are all similar types of playmaker centers. I think the difference is the muscle and power that Jokic brings to the table is so much greater than Sabonis, which is slightly more, I think at this point than Shangun. Shangun's actually impressed me a lot with like how he has yeah. uh, leveled up in terms of strength. Like that was a, a really big issue for me going back was like, Oh, like how good is he versus um, like, is he going to be able to, to play center consistently given how light he is? And it's funny because like you look at Shangun and he doesn't, he's not like jacked, right? His arms aren't like shaped and muscled. But if you look at him, if you watch him play, you're just like, oh, he had like a shit ton of core strength. Like he's just, yeah. he's got so much more power from midsection through his thighs um, and that power really helps. I think when you're when you're guarding and playing against these guys. That said, JV's a, a tank. Like he's a he's, no, he's a huge. tank. He's huge. And so I, um, I, part of why I like this spot, though, just generally with Sabonis, is I know the Kings obviously play faster, and I think that, that matters. Um, but then also, even if he's not necessarily lined up against Valanciunas one to one, he's getting like these minutes against Zion, who is just we know is not a great rebounder yeah. either. 
So you have the opportunity for him to really like kind of like outskill, I think, both of these guys, like in terms of what his finesse is. And I think that that matters because like the rebounds are a counting stat. And the assists are just our court vision thing. And with De'Aaron Fox, we know that his assists spike up. And that Kings offense just overall is a lot better when Fox is on the floor. Well, and I don't know if, if this is something you noticed as well, Joe, but um, in the games that Sabonis, or sorry, in the games that Fox was out this year, ironically, Sabonis' rebounds went down. Maybe yeah. that has a role with the pace, but the games that Fox has been in, the rebounds are way up. So I don't know if, if that caught your eyes well. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that, that's definitely something I noticed. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that he's not necessarily facilitating, or like he's facilitating a little bit more of the low post. So I think he's able to kind of get a couple more rebounds um, and try to generate some more offense here for the team as they, you know, you can kind of kick out the kick out on a fast break or something like that. Okay. Uh, Keldon Johnson over 17 and a half, Jim, give me the cap. Yeah. So this one's relatively straightforward. Honestly, it's that Devin Vassell is listed as doubtful. Now I will caveat this greatly by saying that Devin Vassell was listed as doubtful about a week ago and then decided to play at the last second. So I don't think this line's going to move a ton. What, how I'm going to attack it is I'm going to play a little bit now because I think the 17 and a half number is pretty soft. I think it's going to move up. Um, but then I'm also I'm not going to do my, my full play. And then when we officially see that out, I'm going to add a little bit more um, because well, with Vassell and Johnson, they really eat into each other's usage and especially um, the like the specific field goal attempts they get up per per game with the other out. Um, so. Keldon goes from scoring 24.6 points per 100 with Vassell on the court to 33.6 with him off. Um, the four games that Vassell has been out this season, Keldon's gone for 26, 16, 21, and 22. And that 16 that he got, that was a weird game. They, they lost the Pacers by about a trillion. He only played 23 minutes and didn't take a single three. He typically takes more than five. So there's a really high floor to this. Um, ironically, Keldon doesn't have the ceiling that some other players have that I might look for for you know an escalator, ladder, step stool, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> so I just like the regular points prop. I'm going to play some of it now with the doubtful in, and then when we get that official out, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll add a little bit more to it as well. I like it. I think uh, we'll probably start talking a lot more about half plays, quarter plays, and then full plays uh, once we get the injury confirmation. Speaking of, uh, I will take Houston Rockets plus seven and a half versus the Golden State Warriors pending the results of tonight's contest. So we're recording this before Lakers and Rockets have tipped off. I need to see the injury report on Houston. Um, And so we're going to go ahead and record this, and I'm going to tell you like what the play is. And... I don't imagine that there's anybody on Houston that they're going to sit out that would be meaningful to me. Like Van Vliet probably moves the spread, and then I would just bet whatever that number becomes. Uh, he's like the only guy I would really be worried about. If it's Dylan Brooks, even though he's shooting fifty six percent from three or whatever, I still would like. I, I would still like Rockets, and I would like them at whatever number this move to. I don't imagine Dylan moves the spread. Maybe it's like a half point, but I don't think so. Um, I can't imagine them resting Shangoon. I can't imagine them resting uh, Tari Eason. I can't imagine them resting um, any of the guys that have been really impactful for this team. And so I like the spot a lot. I, I don't know where this number is getting from. I, I don't know where this is coming from. And look, I don't love that the Rockets are now going like this is a I'm on the Lakers as we record this on Sunday night, because in part got a model edge, but also. Uh, it's a great spot. You know why? LA nightlife is undefeated. This is a Sunday game as we're recording this. Uh, the Rockets are on a Sunday night game. I mean, they may come in and win because the Lakers aren't very good. But we're talking about now a weekend in LA 
you play the Lakers, you get on the plane, you play Steph Curry. That's tough. That is tough, especially after a brutal loss to the Clippers on Friday night. That said, uh, this guard, this Warriors team is is not nearly as good as the metrics indicate. I don't think like their dunks and threes numbers on both sides are really good, but a lot of the underlying numbers that I've looked at are pretty worrying. Even if Andrew Wiggins has turned a corner without Draymond Green, I can't get to this number being seven and a half. There's no one scenario where I can get to that. Even though I don't think you like, I think Houston's going to be a mirror team. I think we're going to look up in January and be like, oh, they're five games under 500, and that's okay. Like that's that's okay. They can finish with 36 wins and have a really successful season. Uh, but I don't see any scenario right now where the Warriors without Draymond Green, with this completely, really kind of worrying shell of, of Clay Thompson and not giving Moses Moody enough minutes, getting bad minutes from a lot of the guys, a lot of, of frustration from the fan base with Steve Kerr. Uh, Joe, I can't get to this being seven and a half, so I'll take the Rockets plus seven and a half side unseen. Yeah, like I keep wanting to fade the Rockets and I'm just not getting the chance to. Like Jim and I talked yeah. about this previously and it's like it's there's just never a good spot and i think it's because like they do have a lot of depth in terms of what they can put on the floor and then with golden state i think there's definitely there definitely seems to be some frustration at least generally like from what i see on the timeline anyway um with like what the rotations are in golden state it's like why are we not seeing a little bit more Kaminga? like why are we not seeing a little bit more moody even who kind of seemed to be like one of their better players the other night like what's going on with these rotations because clay thompson just looks toast like, dude, which looks absolutely cooked. Like, I saw who was he trying to back down the other day, and like he just—it was like a twenty-second possession that just ended in a shot clock violation because um, he just couldn't get a shot up. And I think that that's concerning for this Warriors team that's really leaning like hard on Steph Curry. And I think it was—it was you could kind of tell like just how problematic it was when you know Andrew Wiggins hit that three to send the game to overtime against Oklahoma City. And or to almost win the game, and then Chet just went made that absurd shot, and it was just like the air was just completely sucked out of them, and they just had nothing left. Like that, they were gassed, they were done, and you know that's they they're on a pretty good losing streak right now. And given the fact that Draymond's out, and they don't really have like any other reserves right now, it's it's going to be it's going to it's definitely hitting a point where it's very concerning to see how they're going to turn this around, at least in the immediate, um, without dropping too many more games. What I find super interesting about um, this game is so you're looking at a, a Houston team that's uh, six and four, Warriors team is six and eight, um, but the Warriors favored by a big number. And oftentimes, in, at the sport that I think about with this, sometimes is you know in baseball, um, the market's very sh- shaped by you know specific metrics out there, and I think we're starting to see that in NBA as well, where the market, I, like Joe said, I keep wanting to feed this Houston team there. They're a bottom 10 team in adjusted net rating from dunks and threes. But here's the thing. The market knows that, and the market is not going to let you – like, they're not going to give you a bad number. So what you really need to do is do stuff like you're doing, Matt, which is look beyond that adjusted net rating and maybe be like, there's some holes here that the the, the market is, you know, not not quite seeing um, or looking at matchups up. I think – I think those really soft numbers for the first couple of weeks um, really aren't there as much because people have access to, you know, these really strong adjusted net rating uh, outlets on online and stuff. So looking for for one level deeper, um, we might touch briefly on on Timberwolves and Knicks. You know, some of this Knicks offense is by my by my eye little bit like a Jenga tower that's ready to to crumble if RJ stops shooting 50% from three and Mitch stops grabbing more offensive rebounds than any team in the NBA by himself. 
So looking for stuff like that, that maybe is one layer beyond what's a pretty sharp market, I think is like pretty, pretty useful and pretty relevant. And I think that's kind of what you're doing here with this Rockets pick um, on Monday, which seems gross, um, but, but maybe makes sense if you go one layer deeper. Yeah, like it, the number of wins over the next three weeks. Like if there was a market for the number of wins over the next three weeks, the Warriors would probably be like minus one and a half, minus two and a half in that in that kind of a in that kind of a market for you know for having more and more wins, like two and a half more wins than than the Rockets. And I wouldn't want to take that bet because the Warriors are going to get Draymond Green back, and the Warriors are likely to figure stuff out, and they're a better team. And over time, this Rocket stuff will start to slide. But we're not talking about the next three weeks. We're talking about now. Like we're betting the moment. We're we're betting right yeah. now. And even on the back to back, um, I kind of like this spot. I think, you know, Raheem and I used to talk a lot about Raheem from the Ringer Gambling Show about the whole uh, catch a falling knife thing. I I do tend to go a little bit more to you shouldn't just be like they've won three in a row, so they're going to win four in a row. But when you have a team that's like <laughs> unsustainably performing, and like the Steelers, actually, I think are a really good example of how this can burn you too, right? Where like the big debate this week was like, are the Steelers ever going to stop getting lucky as shit? And then they <laughs> stop getting lucky as shit versus the Browns, but they only lost by the hook, right? Where it's like it's like that's that's how narrow the margin was, even with these teams that are kind of outperforming things. Houston will come back down to earth over the course of eighty-two games. But right now, I think it's a really good spot for them. You mentioned, uh, Jim, the Timberwolves in the Knicks. So I'll go ahead and I'll lay the three with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, my numbers are going to be always a little bit messed up because of, like, I have two projections, one based off of uh, in-season home court, which is going to be heavily skewed because there's only been, like, what, four, five, six games. You have one blowout. It, it really messes with it. And then I have, like, a normalized, which is based on, like, the average home court across the league if you were to apply that. And either way, like, my very conservative number is Wolves minus five. Um, my Wolves adjusted for how they played at home court is double digits because they've been demons there. Uh, I love the matchup. You mentioned like Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, and the Wolves wings should cut down on the Mitchell Robinson gets to rebound every fucking miss that they have offense. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I wonder like RJ Barrett is going to probably come back down. This isn't really a cap on that. It's more a matter of if the Wolves and Knicks get into a slugfest, I trust the Wolves to come out and win that game at home by margin if the wolves and knicks get into an offensive shootout i may lean a little bit towards the knicks but not enough on the road for me to not feel good about minnesota and this is like this is like an average normalish game then i think the wolves are more talented better and that their power rating i think holds up a little bit better uh, against the resume so joe i hate to tell you but i'm fading the new york knicks look i mean i understand because minnesota's obviously been so so good so far this season um, but it's funny because the Knicks are still better than them in terms of adjusted net rating. They're fourth, Minnesota's fifth, um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, the one thing that I thought was even more interesting was the Knicks have been shooting like incredibly well over the past couple of weeks, right? Um, and they're shooting like 42% from three, almost 43%. The craziest thing is on their season-long numbers in terms of effective field goal percentage versus expected, they're still shooting worse than their expected field goal percentage, uh, mm-hmm. effective field goal percentage, which I thought was fascinating. Um, so like, even though they've been red hot and like over the last two weeks are outpacing what they should be shooting right um, on the season overall, like they still aren't all the way there. So I'm wondering like in terms of what their offense is, you know, like when we look at their offense in terms in adjusted offensive rating, they've now cracked the top 10 and I'm curious to see whether or not that continues to improve 
Um, obviously, Minnesota's defense, excellent. And I think that the it's really just Rudy Gobert, but like what he can bring to the interior maybe it probably can stifle a little bit of what Mitchell Robinson does in terms of getting the Knicks second chance opportunities. But I do think the other thing is hit Rudy Gobert's presence is impactful in particular, given the fact that Brunson likes to get into the paint. Randall likes to get into the paint. You have a lot RJ Barrett likes to get into the paint. Like you have a lot of guys on the Knicks that want to attack the basket and having a rim, rim protector like Rudy Gobert makes this much, much more difficult for that style that the Knicks want to run. Um, so I think that's kind of the concern there. I think the number's probably fair, um, but I, I understand why you, you know, don't want to bet on the Knicks. <laughs> All right. So let, let me ask you this then. Okay. Um, last season, home court was about two and a half. And this is the same thing I do actually in NFL, which is I, I, I hold to a slightly outdated number of about two to two and a half. So I ballpark it at four and a half. That's still what I kind of do with NBA. I love this exercise. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's not reliable in all cases. I just think it's fun to do from a handicap standpoint. So Joe at three, if we flip home court at four and a half points, this means that the New York Knicks are favored on a neutral court versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Do you think that's accurate? Um, any given day, kind of. I, I, I don't think don't wish teams... you washy. Give me the takes here, Joe. <laughs> I, I think that these teams are like honestly, like relatively evenly even. Okay, right, like right, like you know, like I don't think that either is like extremely better than the other. Um, yeah, like, I, I think it's it's kind of like one of those tougher scenarios or tougher games to cap because like there's I think they're kind of similar, right? Like you have uh, multiple yeah. bigs on both teams. Like you have Randall and Carl Anthony Towns. You have Rudy Gobert, Mitchell Robinson. Um, we can go back and forth over like who is better, obviously. Like I think Gobert is probably the best out of all of them. And then Cat, you know, and Randall, maybe they'll get traded for each other. Who knows? Um, but then you have Brunson, Anthony Edwards at the on the perimeter. So I think that it's like a relatively like evenly type of matched game. Uh, but I think I think it just depends on on the day. Like who if the Knicks are gonna shoot forty five percent from three point range, like they're gonna win. Like that's just that's just the way it is. So uh it's I think it's gonna be a good game. It's probably one of the better games to watch on this Monday slate. I'm definitely gonna be tuning in. So uh but I, I don't know if I'm gonna bet on it just for my own happiness sake, you know? <laughs> oh, that's a very rational and well reasoned and um just a very even headed analysis by Joe Delera. It's also clown behavior. As Rudy Gobert would say, that's clown <laughs> behavior for you not taking a side. Jim, you kind of mentioned some of the offensive stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I was actually hoping to have a best bet for this game because I really liked um, the under at the number that popped. Um, I saw some of the writing on the wall, so I moved down a half point, so I logged it in the app. Hopefully you followed there. It's gone down like five points, um, and that kind of put me on the side with you. I think you you nailed this well of I think the lower scoring this is, the better this is for the Wolves. Um, you know, Knicks have the, the, the slowest pace, so they're definitely comfortable playing at, you know, those low scoring games. But, um, I, I do think that the, the Barrett shooting and the Mitchell Robinson rebound offensive rebounding in particular have been so central to this team's offensive success so far. And in Gobert, he's going to face one of the tougher challenges to get those offensive rebounds against, um, the Wolves are ninth in the league in defensive rebound percentage, but a lot of that is up, uh, kind of up front with their their starting unit, um, and that's the the unit that's going to have to worry about Mitchell Robinson the most. You know, I, I do think there is the potential for the the Knicks, and they love those like cram schedule spots. They really thrive in those. Um, I, I would have this as I think the Wolves are a slightly better team um, than the Knicks right now. So I think in 
and get at getting a number of just minus three, uh, I would I would lean with you as well. Um, I'd probably make it around that four and a half, maybe five. Um, I'm not I haven't played it just yet. Um, this is one where an injury report could skew this like well within the range of making me nervous. So I kind of want to see a full, you know, everyone either out or in. And then if right. I don't think the mo- numbers going to move like crazy. So I might try and look to, to the, at this game kind of like right before tip kind of deal. Like, like, like that one where it was like RJ Barrett's smiling and happy in the lock app. He's got a migraine. He's out that, that was, yeah. that was unfortunate for all involved. Uh, all right. So best bets. We'll run these down once more. I've got rockets plus nine wolves minus three. Joe has Bucks minus nine full game. Ivica Zubac over nine and a half points and blind bet Sabonis rebound assist overs. Jim's got Bucks first half over team total 64 and a half. Keldon Johnson over 17 and a half points pending Devin Vassell. Buckets is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's time now for the Tyrese Halliburton happy hour. Um, All right. (laughs) Going back to last season, our action group has been very high on Tyrese Halliburton. And I was not part of it last season. I was a little bit more skeptical. I think uh, I don't think I had, I didn't make a bet on the over under that all cash for everybody. A lot of bets for him for most improved player didn't come through um, because honestly the Pacers missed the playoffs, but this was the year I did like a breakdown of, of Halley halfway through the year and was like, Holy shit, this might be the second best passer in the NBA behind Nikola Jokic. I kind of think that that's true. And like James Harden's incredible and LeBron's still LeBron and Chris Paul's still Chris Paul to a certain degree. But like factoring age, injury and like upside motor, I I genuinely think Tyrese Halliburton is the second best passer in the league. He is also, by the way, uh, pops incredibly well on all the advanced metrics. We're going to do a full week of award stuff not this week obviously but next week for the end of the month we're going to go through all that we'll have a big thing on friday on it too we'll get into a lot more on the on the awards first week of the month is going to be our awards centric stuff but we had to kind of get in on this because estimated plus minus came out at dunks and threes on sunday and it's a number that historically has been extremely reliable in predicting mvp finish um along with some other metrics that some of our colleagues have mentioned and so he actually pops on this list when you go to to this year's uh, estimation. Uh, Halliburton uh, drops in after a very dismal loss on Sunday. He is still uh, up here at sixth. He was second coming into the day, and he's was second on BPM. The Pacers look like a playoff team. I told you to bet Pacers two weeks ago in an article for Action Network and on Green Dot Daily. Um, Joe, we talk a lot about building portfolios for MVP and how you can get value later. The key, I think, with Halliburton is, are we going to ever reach a point where we're legitimately like, maybe it is Halliburton. Like, maybe, maybe, like, because we have to get over that hump of incredulousness of not just, oh, yeah, he belongs, like, in the discussion, but, like, maybe he should win this thing. Uh, what are your thoughts? And he's an extremely long number right now. There's an, I believe, do we still see an 80 to one in the market? Is that still the number we got? Out there, yeah. 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 There's still an 80, 80 to one in the market. He's 30 to one at one book, which shows you the discrepancy on these things. Um, 
do is there enough i think do you think in halliburton's performance if it holds up over the season to where we could legitimately be like man maybe it is halliburton I think, yeah, like, especially at the number, right? Like everybody else that's in the conversation is not even close to 80 to one. Like you're looking at 20 to one at like the longest, right? Um, And I think the thing is with Halliburton, in terms of EPM, uh, he's sixth, but in terms of offensive um, EPM, he's second. And I think when you think about the Indiana Pacers, you are not thinking about defense. It's just not even in the equation. So like for him, like for when you're, for the way, like when I'm capping Halliburton or like when I'm looking at this, like I'm almost only looking at the offense, like what he's bringing on that side of the ball, especially if he's the engine to the best offense in the league or, you know, one of the top offenses in the league makes some playoff team, that type of thing. I think that there's definitely going to be some conversation. I think the thing is like, you kind of have to get it now especially because Indiana really has like no nationally televised games, which sucks because they're amazing to watch. Right. But because of how good they've played in the in-season tournament, it sounds like they're going to get some nationally televised games. And I think that, you know, if they can kind of ball out in those spots in that spot, like people are going to go, Whoa, whoa, like, wow, this guy is good. Like this team is really good. And I think that then having the eyes on him now, throughout the rest of the season, I think that that matters. He's also like on pace to be, I think the first 12 assist guy with, or it was like something with 12 assists and like no turnovers or like what the ratio was since like John Stockton. So, I mean, that tells you just how good he's been at overall this season. The other thing is we know he's going to play. Like he generally is playing in these games. Like he's played, he's missed one game so far this season. Uh, but I think that there's some, there's always like significant, concerns with players missing time like Booker's already missed eight games Curry missed two Lucas played all of his games uh Embiid there's always some injury concerns De'Aaron Fox missed a bunch of games Donovan Mitchell has missed some games Kevin Durant always the same type of thing and then Shea has played but you know Shea you have to look at it and say like all right well is it Shea is it like is it the whole is the whole team I think that Tyler Salliburton it's very evident that the reason the Pacers will make the playoffs it, like and maybe even go like get like not just in the play and like make the playoffs outright is because of how good he's been as an, the number one offensive player on this team. Uh, so I think that between the assists and the fact that he can also score and he's shooting it's forty uh, it's fifty forty ninety clip is just absolutely incredible. If Steve Nash got to shoot more instead of playing the pure point guard role on the Suns, this is what it looks like. Like Steve Nash has said, like, I should have yeah. shot more. Like, that's what this looks like. Like, that's honestly the best comp. That's how he plays. Like, when I watch Halliburton, I see Nash. The way that he weaves in, the way that he finds guys in mid-transition, the way that he, like, lands passes completely on target. Um, all of it, to me, is very reminiscent of Steve Nash, who you may recall won two MVPs. Uh, yeah. Jim, I, I you you've talked a lot about this in terms of um, the value over the course of the season, building positions, and the, what I'm really kind of getting at here is you can't eat CLV, and I feel like we're going to have great CLV here on Tyrese. <clears throat> Let's start with this with this right up front because it's important to just go ahead and, and acknowledge this. This assumes that Nikola Jokic has either chosen to miss enough games to go 64 or under, or God forbid, knock on wood, suffer some sort of injury to where he does not qualify. Because to be quite honest, despite all of the stuff we talked about in preseason on age restrictions and who doesn't win it and the fatigue and how like moving past it, I don't know how the fuck Nikola Jokic doesn't win this award if he keeps doing what he's doing because it's absolutely berserk. And that's like, 
that's before we get to Embiid, who, again, like, I think Embiid probably will, there's a lot of reasons I think he'll either not qualify or slide a little bit. He's off to a really great start. Um, my question, though, Jim, is is kind of the same one as it is for Joe, just is, is there a scenario where we can really be like, no, 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 you know, Halley's plus 200, Halley's plus 250, Halley's plus 300 by the end of the season to enable us to go back the other way? Like, is there a good enough chance of that? Because it would have to be like no Jokic, no Embiid. Um, and quite honestly, I, I'm even if the Pacers finish with a better record than Luka, I don't know how he gets over him because of Luka's raw usage production. So uh, because this is a podcast, I'm going to take a very long road to answer your question. So I'm going to lead with some some Halley love because it's going to end at a place of maybe not as much Halley love in terms of this exact bet. But you mentioned comps for Halliburton, and I think uh, you mentioned Steve Nash. I'm going to bring up one that's going to make you make your head spin and you're going to push back against Chris Paul. Chris Paul is really the comparison for Tyrese Halliburton. And li- listen to this. There's some there's some good numbers here. So. The all-time best assist rate minus turnover rate is Chris Paul in his age 23 season at 41%. This season, Tyrese Halliburton, age 23, is 40.3%. That would, if it held, this was before his worst game tonight. Of course, we jinxed him by sitting, saying we would talk about him. That would be literally the second best of all time. Um, with Tyrese on the court this season, they're scoring 127.8 points per 100 with him off down way down to 113.3 that's basically every stat you can go down three point percentage they shoot 40 percent with them on down to 36 with them off true shooting 63 to 57 they have they turn the ball over more because he's scoring four more points this season he's averaging two more assists and somehow his assists are down he just got, got, got done a stretch where he had 91 minutes without a turnover and had well over 30 assists during this he is playing out of his mind and really he is if you his bpm right now is the average the exact average of chris paul's two best seasons by bpm his age 22 and age 23 season it looks eerily similar now this is again a 12 game stretch and we're seeing why you can't use 12 game stretches because today he was not at that level but i think if you want to do the comp uh and this is hat tip to our brandon anderson you know he he was the one who threw it out there first and then i went crazy looking through how eerie it is uh it, it really is uh, crazy how much these two really look alike in their age 23 seasons, at least to start the season. But here's the thing. Your comp, Steve Nash, won two MVPs, one of which is very disputed and the other semi-disputed. Chris Paul has never won an MVP and didn't even really get all that close. I, he did come close in, in his age 22 season, but portfolio betting to me doesn't make as much sense in the MVP race because the numbers are so sticky. You have, you mentioned Jokic, Look, we, we've we've talked about, damn, we may have missed the boat on getting a Jokic number because I'm not sure if there is going to be that lull that we can jump on Jokic. Embiid is playing better than he did last season. Jason Tatum, we were just talking about before the pod about how he's increased his rebounding and he probably should be getting even more credit than he is deserving. To me, this isn't the way to play Tyrese Halliburton. At eight and one, it's it's a fun loud ticket. I don't see a world in which he wins the MVP, and I don't even really see a world in which we can leverage it all that well. What I really, really, really wish we had, and if anyone sees this out there, reach out to us, let us know, send out flares, signals, anything, is how to bet him to be first team all NBA. Because I think that is a, a way to bet on him that would allow you to leverage the fact that he is a guard as well. 
and that, that there is an opening for him to take that mantle. And he, I, I really think he has a good chance of that. And the, if the odds are 81 for MVP, you know, they're, they're not going to be nearly that for first team all NBA, but that's a, a bet that very well could happen. So I'm, I'm not going to bet him for MVP, but I am certainly, it's not because I don't think he's unbelievably amazing. I just don't, I don't think it's happening. Um, I like the Chris Paul is uh, great and never won an MVP. I did drop into um, our Slack a comparison by age of EPM for those players. And uh, how can I put this? Uh, Chris Paul would like you to politely shut the fuck up because Chris <laughs> Paul was way, 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 way better. Shut up, man. Chris Paul in his prime was, I don't care about Brandon's BPM. Uh, Chris Paul was <laughs> way, way, way better. Uh, and a lot of that's defense, and and so like uh, it's an offensive award, and so like I, I understand kind of what you're what, like the the argument for him. Can I hop in really quick, Matt? Yeah, for sure. I I definitely do not think uh, Tyrese is nearly at the level of Chris Paul on the defensive end, and that's why I do think that there, he can't quite match Chris Paul. But I will say that so far this season, with him on the court, they're allowing 117 and a half points. With him off, they're allowing 123.8. Now again, tiny sample, but I think he has yeah. improved on that end. He's just no Chris Paul for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I mean the defense, yeah. He's not playing defense. <laughs> honestly, a lot of it too is, is it, a lot. A lot of it. A lot of it too. Honestly, is that like Tyrese is still kind of learning to. But here's what's funny: is Chris. Chris also had this problem where Chris like didn't score enough when he was young. Like Chris was one of the was like a 50, 40, 90 shooter, and it, like it wasn't really until the season that he, before he left New Orleans that he was like, I guess I'm just gonna have to do this and shoot a ton. Jokic had the same thing too, where it was like he didn't want to shoot that much. Like, I want to get everybody else involved. And there's nights when, like, no, no, you got to do this. Like, no, it's not working for everybody else. The, the defense is keyed in on it. They know you want to pass. You have to hurt them. And he's starting to make that jump, which I think is really exciting. Um, I, I bet it. I bet it at 80 to 1 because it was worth adding to my portfolio. I do think that part of what you're trying to do, do too, if you're building the portfolio, is it, if you eliminate all of the other options you might have to deal with down the line, that means that once you single it into who you think is going to win and who the best value is, you can correct on that and so like there's i think value on that now hallie's more of a flyer at this point there's another name we'll talk about in two weeks that i think is the best value on the board because he legitimately is at that level it's jake Gilders alexander um but we'll talk about that <laughs> another time uh the other thing i want to get to today was chet holmgren who if you follow me in the action network app i put a bunch of what we call rackums which are the parlays that you can put out in the, there's certain books in the market that allow you uh to parlay awards and I have like Victor Weminyama, Tyrese Maxey, and Chet Holmgren. I have, or, and, um, and, uh, Bam Adebayo Defensive Player of the Year. I have these kind of positions. I have now Jokic and Chet Holmgren. So Jokic MVP, Chet Holmgren for, uh, Rookie of the Year. Chet Holmgren nails a turnaround catch and shoot three pointer to force overtime versus the Warriors in an absolutely incredible performance from him. Him and Shea tore that team to pieces in a huge comeback after being down 18 uh, late in the third quarter. Uh, incredible performance from him, like deterring shots. Like he, he really messed up Curry on Curry's drives. Chet's been absolutely phenomenal. And if like, look, there's so much hype around Wemby and there's going to be protectionism a little bit with Wemby because it's, we're wor like there's concern of over criticism and tearing him down when he's been really good. But if we take a step back and we just look at who's been the better performer this season, Jim, I think Chet Holmgren has been the better player this season than Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think he definitely has been. I think 
My only worry with it, us, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense for us to talk about it right now because this is kind of a, a Chet moment. Um, we mentioned, you mentioned the the game, uh, that, that three, the game tying three. Uh, also the, you know, EPM you mentioned came out this week. He's literally the second best defender in the NBA by defensive uh, rating. So this is, this is the time that the, the Chet alarms are going off. Everyone's, everyone's starting to come to the party. Everyone's saying, wow, Chet actually so far has been better than Wemby. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm there a hundred percent. Um, I was just trying to really quickly find the, to see how much the odds has shifted, um, for in the rookie of the year, it, you can still get him at 250. So I think this might be one of those examples of where, you know, if you are, if you live on NBA Twitter and you're in these conversations, you think more people have have figured this out than the rest. I think if you were to have not placed a bet um, on this award market yet, I think there is value at Chet at plus 250. I don't love it as much. For someone like myself, I have I kind of before the season I was on the scoot train. That has not been a good yep. look, but I don't want to start chasing this award to be honest. Um, especially yeah. not with, at a number like two fifty. I do like it for like I said, if if you have not bet this yet, I think there is value on on plus two fifty. In part because I think the one the one part of um, the the read of that rookie of the year cap was. I don't know if Wemby plays 65 games. I think the Spurs are going to be god-awful. That matters much less for Rookie of the Year. But Jet has been playing so outstanding. If his if his team is incredible and these advanced numbers pop and he's having moments like he is having, you know, in, in big moments, in crunch time moments in big games, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, people aren't going to be scared off of, like, Wemby is generational. Chet's putting up generational numbers as well to start the career. So I, I, I do like this at 250 if you if you haven't gotten into the market yet. Joe, uh, do we feel like this is a buy point for Chet or are we kind of buying in a little bit too late? This was plus 450 in in the market. That's when I bet him uh, about uh, seven to 10 days ago. It's obviously moved after that game last night. It's a lightning point, but do we feel like this is going to get, I guess like a more interesting question. I want your general thoughts on Chet, but also if you can answer this question, do we feel like Chet's odds get longer or shorter as the season goes on? I think I think Chet's been awesome, absolutely incredible, and I think that it's definitely helping him that he's playing with other like opt like he's playing his optimal role for a team that's trying to win, and I think that it matters for a lot of the advanced stats because like when we look at Victor's advanced stats, and I think this is part of why it doesn't some of those advanced stats don't matter as much right with rookie of the year because they're playing normally for bad teams, but Oklahoma City is actually trying to win, whereas with the Spurs, like we are seeing these insane lineups, like they're still running Sohan at point. So it's like, what are we, you know, it's like, I think that a lot of those numbers that surround Wemby are going to be, are just trash, right? Because like, they're just not really trying to win. Like it's, it's like an experimental year. So I think that a lot of those team centric numbers around Wemby are going to be problematic. I think that instead of buying Chet, I think that you I think that there's a decent chance that his number shortens just because of the fact that he's been so good. He's going to be on TV a lot. He's playing for the Thunder like they're getting a lot of media attention. I think that if Chet continues to shorten, it probably creates another buy opportunity for Wemby. Um, you know, Wemby like after he had that 34 point or 38 point explosion, he went to like minus 400. I think there it went to minus 600 and then there was some buy action on guys like Chet or Thompson. Um, and then you've kind of seen the market pull back now and you're seeing mostly like minus 250s, minus 2 230 or so. So I think that if Chet continues to climb, 
that naturally has to mean that Victor comes down. And I think that that's really the way that I would probably look at it. Um, Not so much that Chet isn't as good, but I think that at the end of the season, if all things are equal, it's tough to say like, well, Victor's not going to win because they're going to say like he was in a worse system uh, aside from pop, obviously, but it's like the team was worse. He had to do way more. The attention was always on him. Whereas in Oklahoma city, the attention's not on Chet. The attention's on SGA. So, like, Chet can get better looks. Defenses aren't scheming specifically for him. Every time somebody goes and plays the Spurs, you have an entire coaching report. You have special coaching for how to guard Wemby. Like, and he's still putting up these numbers. So I think that the Chet decrease in odds is going to create a buy opportunity for Wemby a little bit later on in this race. That's great analysis. Uh, We talked about in the preseason about kind of in our how to bet rookie of the year than stats that are most important. And like, it's look, it's, it's counting stuff. Like that's, what's always been important in this award. Victor's still averaging 19 points to Chet 17. He's still averaging 9.5 boards to Chet 7.9. So he's got a board and a half. He's got 2.2 points on him and he's averaging more steals and more blocks. It's 3.7 stocks, which by the way, what um, is 3.3 stocks which again, what? So that gap is tight, but it's meaningful. Like Chet's got him on all the efficiency stuff by a huge margin. Like Victor's shooting 43% from the field. Chet's shooting 55%. Uh, Victor's 28% from three. Chet's 44% from three. Chet's better at the line, all these types of things. But also, like you said, there will be, I think, a lot of... Um, Victor's going to get a, a, a lot of cushion because of his situation. They're going to be like, look at this team. Look at how bad it is, Um, which I will just this is not related to who's going to win because we're covering that here. And that's why, like, there will probably if this gets under 200 for sure, I'm going to hammer Victor. Um, But I will just say that, again, if you're contributing to a playoff team as a rookie, that should matter more. It just should. Like, yeah, this is me screaming into the void. And I get that. And we don't talk about like what should be. We talk about what is on this show. Absolutely, Chet Holmgren is like, what he is doing is actually more difficult than Victor, which is, it is way harder to contribute meaningfully and efficiently, even with Shea Gilders-Alexander next to you, than it is to put up points on a shitty team, because half the time you're playing in garbage time, and you should be able to rack up those points. So I think all that is part of the consideration as well. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys have a great holiday week. We'll be back tomorrow with Best Bets, and then we'll uh, have the week off, and we'll be back with these guys, the future Jays, next Sunday night for Monday here on Buckets. My thanks to David Payne, our producer, as well as Hutton Jackson, the video crew, getting us up on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash the Action Network to check out more. You can follow Joe in the Action Network app at Joe Delera. You can follow Jim in the Action Network app and on Twitter at Turvy Best. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have yourselves a great Thanksgiving weekend. Go, go, go. Let's get buckets. Happy Thanksgiving, gamblers. We're thankful for you. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.